Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write the words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you, have hated, uh, you hate the works of the Nicola- Nicolaitans, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to, uh, to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we do. We come before you right now, and thank you so much for your word. Thank you that a letter that was written to a church in Ephesus, um, how it speaks to us, how it it can help us grow, help us mature, help us keep on in our faith. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We ask that your word just resonates in our hearts and minds as we just move closer to you, as we desire to grow in you through the teaching of your word, through worship, through community. Uh, Jesus, convict us. In spirit, I pray that you would be in our midst right now, just moving in our hearts and minds to grow in a way that um, we don't even understand completely. So we give you this time in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. All right. Ethan Stroud. Good guy. Not the better looking twin, but a good guy. So. (laughs) All right, guys. I like the Strouds. They're good. So. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. Remember last week, and like I said, if you didn't get to listen to the teaching last week, or you're distracted, or there was a new cute girl or boy in the youth group and you didn't listen to me, go back to the podcast, listen to Revelation 1, listen to what it's about, um, and why John is even writing this. So the thing is, you guys, as John gets this revelation, as he gets this vision from Jesus, and I got up there with the metal Jesus again, you know, the fiery eyes, the stars in his right hand, the the sword, the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, the white robe and the golden sash. This vision from Jesus to John was a message to show the church, to show the church in Ephesus and the other six churches that we'll go through over the next couple months that he is with us, that he is with us. And he wants to remind us of this over and over again. And so as we get into this first letter, these, these seven verses tonight, What I want to resonate in your hearts and minds, you guys, is that no matter what you go through, no matter what you are going through right now, no matter what you will go through in your life, Jesus is with you. And this is just such the message that Jesus wants to give his churches as he gives this revelation, this vision to John. Now, as we get into this tonight, I want to ask you guys a question. What was your first love? What was the first thing that you ever loved? Right? I know many of you are like, well, I haven't had a love yet, Josh, right? A real crush, 
or a real like boyfriend or girlfriend, and that's okay, that's okay. But maybe it was, maybe your first love, the thing that you remember like really being with was maybe a blanket, right? A blankie, right? How many of you guys had a blankie, right? Right? Maybe many of you still have this blankie, right? It hangs out in your bed, don't show anybody when they come over. Uh, maybe it was a teddy bear, right? I had a teddy bear. His name was Ted. Uh, no joke. Way before the movie, way, way before the movie. Um, my son actually still has Ted in his bed. Uh, he has a jean jacket now for some reason, but, but Ted is still around. I, there would be a part of me that would really break if he lost Ted or something happened to him. I mean, that bear has been in my, literally my life as far back as I can remember. Maybe your first love was, was you know, your mom or your dad. Maybe from a childhood you remember, like, just this intense love for your mother, your intense love for your dad. You just wanted to be held by them. You wanted to be enraptured by them, covered by them. You wanted to be just taken care of. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe you're one of those oddities where you have an intense just love and relationship with, with a sibling, and you guys are just best friends, and you, you want to live life together and, and enjoy everything that God has as you grow and mature and you raise families and you have your kids together and all those things, you know? Maybe it's in and out. Maybe that was your first love, right? <laughs> right? In and out. I, I remember my first in and out burger. I really do. I was actually on a ride along with a sheriff because for a while I actually thought I wanted to be a cop. So I was on a ride along and he was doing graveyard shifts and we had just buzzed up to Tahoe really quick because of a call. We were coming back down and it was, it was like 12.25 in the morning, right? Like, like you know, after midnight. And, and the sheriff... Glenn McNamma was like, man, we can make it. I think if we, if we speed, we can make it to In-N-Out, right? And so, like, he, he flips on the lights, and we fly down Highway 80 to Auburn, right? There's no one on the road. It's almost 1 in the morning. We make it to In-N-Out, and, and I'm like, yeah, I've never had In-N-Out. Like, he couldn't believe it. And so he, we pull up to the window, and he goes, you got to order a double-double animal-style fries and a milkshake. And my life was changed. I think I had In-N-Out every week. Literally until I was like 25. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, an In-N-Out Burger. I, if I could find enough cash to have five dollars and sixty-five cents, I could get a double-double animal-style fries and a, and a Dr. Pepper. Like if I, in college, if I had that, I was a happy man, right? I remember scrounging through my truck a couple times looking for change. Um, anyway, maybe what, what was your first love? What was the first thing that you remember an intense love? Maybe it was a pet, a cat, a dog. Maybe it was a goldfish. I don't know, right? Something, something that gave you a peace, something that gave you a, a place of satisfaction and a place that just when you were held by it or it held you, everything in the world felt right, okay? Everything in the world just felt right when you were in or around or holding this first love, okay? Now, I think every one of you has something that you can think of that, that brings back that feeling, that emotion, that, even that, that kind of sense, now take a second and think of what it would feel like if you lost that love. I kind of mentioned Ted, right? Like there'd be a part of me that would be broken if Ted was gone. But think for a minute, what would it be like if you lost that love? So think about that. Yeah, in and out, yeah. So basically to misplace it or even fall out of love. To fall out of love with something. To fall out of love with, with this thing that you absolutely love, that you care for whether it's your actions or their actions, I want you to think of what if you fell out of love with this? 
own this for a second. Own this. Put this on yourself. What if you misplaced this object or you fell out of love with this person or thing? That comfort and safety, that peace of mind and solace that love once gave you is now gone. You gave it up. Sit with that for a second. Now, let's take it a step further, a little more intimate, okay? My first real physical and emotional love is my wife. If you think about it, my wife, Erica, she is literally like everything that I understand about love, everything I understand about a first love, a first emotional, physical, mental, spiritual connection is with my wife. It's something that that I can't explain. It's something that I can't fully understand, but yet it's so deep. It's to the point where it's literally a microcosm of what God loves for us. It's a microcosm of what God has given us in love and compassion and covering. This, this solace again, this foundation we feel with this love. See, at every point, she is my first love. The greatest love that matters here and now in my life. Of course, Jesus is there. Of course, he is king of my life. He is savior of my life. But in a physical sense, like there's nothing else more real to me but my love for my wife. So then, again, going back to what if I lost that love? What if I walked away from that love? What would be the consequences if I left that love? Think about that. Well, just logically right now, it would be a broken family, emotionally and scarred kids, a fractured ministry here and now at Monterey. And then think of the last 17 years of youth ministry that would be tainted For every kid that I've ever talked to or told the gospel to, and then they saw that Josh and Erica Shively are now split up, how that would be tainted. See, there's consequences when we give up a love so deep, when we give up a love so personal, so intimate, when we give up a love that is so foundational in who we are, there are real consequences to that. Now let's take it to our faith. This is Jesus' warning to the church in Ephesus. His love for the church in Ephesus, his love to his church is real, it's intimate, it's pure. And yet when you leave your first love, there are consequences. And when we leave our love for Jesus, there are consequences that are eternal and and eternal. Internal and eternal. Ultimately, Christians, Jesus is our first love. Not because we loved him, but because he first loved us. See, this is when it gets real because 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love that we have, lo- uh, we have not loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, this is when it gets real, Christians, because we start to understand Jesus' love for us. So when the question comes, like losing that love or misplacing or turning from that love, it's never Jesus turning, it's us turning. It's us walking away. It's in essence, the sun is always shining, but when we don't see it and it's nighttime, it's not like the sun has disappeared or stopped shining. It's just that earth has turned its back on the sun. The earth has turned and is no longer where we are at in this hemisphere is looking at the sun. And so when we no longer feel or are walking in that love of Jesus, it's not like Jesus has stopped shining or stopped loving, but we have turned our back. And see, what I want to go through tonight, what I want to get to is that there are real consequences when we walk away from Jesus, Christians. There are real consequences when we say, no, like when we walk away from that first love that is Jesus Christ. And this is the warning that Jesus gives the church in Ephesus. 
Now, as we step into these letters, there's a real format that, that we get from each one of the, these seven letters. And the first is a description of Jesus. Because ultimately, what is the church? The church is Jesus. We are his hands. We are his feet to this world. But see, we got to make good decisions, guys. we got to make the right decisions to continue to be his. Because there are consequences to bad decisions. Sorry, I had to put one meme in there. Stupid monkey. Everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make a bad decision. I do believe this to be true. Okay, moving on. All right, <laughs> moving on to verse one here. Lesson, don't smack a lion with a stick. Okay. All right. Revelation 2 verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, and here's our description of Jesus the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who hold the seven, I'm sorry, who walk among the seven golden lampstands. So here's the, who it's to, this letter is to this church in Ephesus. We'll get to who Ephesus is in a second. But then this is a description of Jesus. This is what the church is about. This is one of the things Jesus wants to remind the church. Now, the first that, that we'll see through every one of these letters, it's, it says this letter written to the angel. Now, this word angel translates to messenger. And so this could be the pastor of the church in Ephesus at this time. Um, if you think about a pastor, he is a messenger. He is, he is spreading or sharing or giving um, the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to people and to his congregation. Or this literally could be an angel who sits over Ephesus. This could be an angel that, that is given that dominion of the city of Ephesus to watch over Christians and to be a spiritual force for God and his will in that place. Either way, they are still messengers. I don't think I translate to angel, <laughs> but I believe in both ways we are still transmitting like, in a messenger type way the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now as we move on, Jesus loves us, you guys, so much that he actually wants to be around us. This is what it's saying here, that the words of him who holds the seven stars and is among the seven golden lampstands. If you remember last time, we talked about these seven golden lampstands that John saw. These are the seven churches that John is writing to. Jesus is amongst them. See, the church can be a weird and messed up place, but Jesus loves his church so much that even though we don't always bring glory to him, he still remains present and in the midst of his church. In essence, no matter how messed up the church can be, no matter how many bad decisions we make as a people or as a church or, or as a congregation, or even as Christians, Jesus still is in our midst. He still loves us even when we are really being stupid. This is what he's saying here. And so, but what is Ephesus? So think about this. If Jesus is willing to be in, in the midst of a church, well, let's just like look into what Ephesus is. Let's look into like this city that this church is in and then realize, man, even in a city like this, Jesus still wants to be a part of it. He still wants to be a part of his church in this city. So Ephesus, this is a great city. Uh, it was one of the really famous cities of, of the first century. Uh, it was known for religion, culture, uh, economic. It was an economic center for the region. It had a lot of trade, a lot of money. Uh, Ephesus had a, whole, a notable temple of Diana. Uh, she was a god of uh, fertility who worshipped through basically uh, immoral sex. It was a tremendous temple that literally was one of the seven world wonders in the first century. It had 127 pillars. Each pillar was 60 feet tall. It was absolutely adorned in gold and sculptures, right? It was literally one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
There was a lot of money there, a lot of power. But to see, its focus, even though it might have been religious or spiritual, was not on God but on creation, was on these gods, was on these, these false deities. It was a place, basically, that boasted in spirituality and boasted in a place of knowing God or knowing self, but yet it was way off course. A historian wrote that Ephesus was a stronghold of Satan. Uh, here, many evil things, both superstitious and satanic, were practiced. Books containing formulas of sorcery and other ungodly and, and forbidden acts were plentiful in the city. So if you would think about it, if you would think about, you know, hashtag witches of Instagram or, you know, this, this idea of being a witch or being a Wiccan is, is pretty popular today. It, it pales in comparison to what was in Ephesus, this idea of worshiping nature, nature, worshiping self, or even the black arts, as it were, of raising the dead or curses and things like that. A lot of it originates from the city of Ephesus and what they were practicing there. And so here's the city. There's a little backdrop of what this church has to deal with, who they're witnessing to, who they're bringing the gospel to as they're growing and maturing. And yet what Jesus wants to encourage us in as John sees Jesus is that even in a place like Ephesus where there's immense wickedness, immense immorality, there's an immense place of just people that have no desires who honor God, we see that Jesus is actually holding, he's actually holding in his right hand the seven stars. These seven stars, again, are these, this image of the seven churches that Jesus holds it in his right hand. Now, the right hand is always a hand of power in the Bible. Whenever you hear the right hand, it's the hand of power. It's the hand you don't want to go up against, okay? It's the hand that you don't want to see coming at you at, when you're in a fight. It's the hand you don't want to see when you're up for an arm wrestling. It's like it is, it is the hand of power. And yet this is the hand that Jesus holds the seven churches in. This hand of power. Even though his, this church was in a difficult place to live and thrive, Jesus held them close. See, Jesus knew they were in a difficult place. He knew they were in a place that, would, that they would struggle and that they would have to strive to, to be fruitful and to be faithful. And yet he held them close in his hand of power. See, he held the church then in his hand of power, and he holds us now in his hand of power. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Um, the fact is that the fact is that that no matter how wicked our culture gets today, no matter how much our culture turns from God today, Jesus still holds us in His right hand. He still holds us in His power. Isaiah forty one ten. Isaiah was a prophet of the Old Testament. He said, "Fear not, for I am with you." Talking about God, but uh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man, if you're in a place of discouragement, write that verse down. Like, if you're in a place of dismay or anxiety, go to Isaiah 41.10 and write that on your mirror right there. Fear not, do not be dismayed, I am with you, I am your God. Right? I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold you with the power of God's right hand. I mean, that is intense, guys. And yet, this is the description Jesus wants to give the church in Ephesus. This is the description he wants to give you today. That no matter what you're up against in today's world, no matter what you have going on, Jesus is in your midst and he holds you in his right hand. This is a really cool description of our God, guys. Really intimate description of our Jesus. That he's not some far off concept, but he's real, he's true, he's with us right now. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 3, continuing now says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, 
and found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, Jesus says, and you have not grown weary. Now, as he goes to in a lot of these letters, he now brings an encouragement to the church in Ephesus. This first, he kind of builds them up. This is actually a tactic. If I ever confront you on something and I'm, I'm kind of calling you out or chewing you out as a youth pastor, I build you up a little bit and then I tear you down and then I build you up again. It's a sandwich, right? Nathan knows, right? It's just this like beautiful process where it's like, man, I love you. I care for you. No, I, I am here for you, but you are being an idiot. You need to stop that or I'm going to like, yeah. And then, hey, but you know, I love you, man. And you're doing great. And I'm proud of you. It works every time. It's, and it's a good thing. Anyway, so... Um, the thing is that Jesus builds them up. He wants to remind them that in this really dark place of Ephesus, in this really hard place to, to do ministry, not just that I have you, but hey, you are, you are putting your faith to work. You are doing what I've called you to do. I mean, look at what he says. Um, basically, like your daily pursuit of Jesus, you guys, is not in vain, and he calls it out. He sees the struggle by saying, I see that you are patiently enduring. That not, you aren't enduring in a place of anxiety or frustration. You're not just enduring in this place of like, well, I guess I'll just endure for Jesus today. I guess I'll just go, you know. No, it's a patience endurance. It's Jesus, this is hard. This is difficult. But I know you're going to get me through it. I know I'm going to grow through this. Right? He says, cannot bear with those who are evil. The church in Ephesus sees what is evil. They're, they're willing to call sin out. They're willing to say, this is wrong. This is right. This is God's will. This is not. This is God's plan for you. This is not. This is God's design for you and your gender and sexuality and who he made you to be, and this is not. This is how God designed you to enjoy life and live life to the full. This is not. You were designed to worship, but not worship creation. You were designed to worship God. You were designed to put God first and in your life and as king over your life. So you guys, they were willing to call out evil and not bear it. They were not willing to allow it into their church. They were not willing to allow it into their lives. He also says, tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. See, the church in Ephesus knew the word of God enough, knew the character of God, that when a false prophet came into their midst and said, and said thus says the Lord, God says you should do this. They go, let's open the Bible here and say if that's true. Let's see if that really matches up with God's character. Let's see if your life and what you're prophesying or what you're telling us actually lines up with the gospel, actually lines up with who Jesus is. This is first century Christianity, you guys. There were all kinds of offshoots, and we're going to talk about that with the Nicolaitans tonight. There were all kinds of offshoots, all kinds of of really Christian cults that were starting up saying, well, actually, Jesus was like this, or Jesus was that, or Jesus actually said this, or Jesus actually said we should do that. And the thing is, you had to know the scripture. You had to know what the apostles said. You had to know these letters and what, the, what, what was taught by Jesus so that when these false prophets came, you knew what was false. In essence, they knew the truth so well. They knew the, 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 the actual thing so well that when a counterfeit came along, it wasn't hard to tell. They knew that what a counterfeit looked like. Lastly, Jesus encouraged them by saying, they endure patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, you have not grown weary. See, the church in Ephesus, they remember that what they stand for is Jesus. They don't stand uh, in this strong place for like, certain types of social justice or certain type of political stances or certain type of, of human type things, but they stand for Jesus. This is what they're about. This is why they stand. So you guys, the fact is, as we read something like this and we see what Jesus is encouraging the church in Ephesus about, it, it really brings us to the synopsis that, that Christianity does not fit 
into a secular worldview no matter what time period or no matter where geographically it is. Christianity just does not fit into a secular worldview, you guys. It is like putting a square peg into a round hole. It doesn't work. Christianity is to stand out. It is to be separate. It is to be different. To be sanctified and holy means to be set apart. Jesus says, I call you to, to, not be, to be in the world, but not be of the world. We are in it. We are surrounded by it. We breathe it in, but yet our faith does not fit into a secular world. It just does not, you guys. And when we find ourselves as Christians or as the church trying to fit into the world, trying to make ourselves look more like the world, trying to, to mold ourselves to be more appetizing to the world, all we're doing is we're diluting and we're watering down the gospel of Jesus. We're watering down our faith. And I believe that Jesus lays this out to them. He, he, he calls them specifically on this because they're struggling with something that we're going to get into in a minute. But he wants to remind them that you are, are enduring patiently. You are bearing this for my name's sake. You're not growing weary because the fact is you are going to want to grow weary as you combat the world. As you stand firm as a Christian, as you stand firm in who, who God and Jesus is calling you to be, you will want to grow weary. You'll want to shut off. You'll want to zone out. You'll want to lay it all down and just give up for a little bit. But Jesus is saying, don't do it. You'll never fit in if you're mine. You'll never fit in if you're a Christian. Matthew 24, 9 says, um, 24, 9 says then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Jesus tells the disciples this, that you will actually be hated for my name's sake. Matthew 10, 21 and 22 says, Brothers will deliver brothers over to death, and the father, his children, and the children will rise up against his parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is pretty countercultural, isn't it, guys? Right? We think we want to go to church. We want to put mark the box that says Christian. We just want to, like, sing a cool, happy song and leave church feeling really good. But that's not what Jesus taught, is it? Jesus said, no, you will like stand out as a Christian. You will be different from what the world is. And when you find yourself looking like the world, talking like the world, thinking like the world, then your faith is being diluted. Your stance is being diluted. Your, your boldness, your courage for Jesus is being diluted. Again, Jesus finishes, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Man, if Jesus was talking about Joshua Shively, I'd want him to say that right there. I wouldn't want him to say, like, I know he's enduring, kind of, but he's kind of getting milky. He's kind of getting watered down. He's, kinda, he's not quite firm. He's, not quite, he's just kind of in this, I wouldn't want that, you guys. You don't want that. Continuing on, verse 4 and 5, he says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. All right, now here's the warning. We see this in the letters. Jesus builds up, then he gives them a warning. But I have this against you. I see something that you're struggling with. You guys, I hope that when you read something like this, you don't, you don't go, man, like, how dare Jesus judge me? How, how dare that pastor call that out in me? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I'm going through. You guys, this is, this is because Jesus loves us. Jesus can call out the church in Ephesus because he loves us. Someone that loves you, truly cares about you, will call out sin in your life. Will call out compromise. Will call out those places that they see that are corrupting you or taking you away from Jesus. And that's what's happening here. See, we need to keep loving Jesus even when it gets hard because he has continued to love you. 
Ultimately, we go back to that genuine love, that first love. This first love that Jesus says that you have left or abandoned your first love, you guys, it's this love of Jesus. It's that intimate love, that real love that that we feel and we know when we walk with Christ. This abandoned the love or where you have fallen is basically a turning our backs and walked away. See, Jesus hasn't stopped loving you, even in your place of disobedience or rebellion, but we've walked away. We choose to turn our backs. We choose the world over him. We choose things that make us happy or, or, or bring us pleasure or satisfy the flesh rather than things God has from us. And see, what Jesus says is to repent and do the work. Repent. Now, if we've turned away from God, repent means to turn back around. In its simplest form, that's what it means, is you've sinned, you've walked away from God, now repent, turn back around, and walk back towards him. It's not this, you know, say 100 Hail Marys and, and bow down 50 times and feed a bunch of homeless people and help a bunch of grandmas across the street and mow your neighbor's lawn and then repent. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying turn back around and repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop walking away from Jesus. Whatever it is that's taking you away from him, wherever your love is going towards, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, it's something of the mind, something of the physical, turn away from that and go back to Jesus. Repent. Repenting just means turn back. Now do the works. This is a working faith. The book of James is beautiful in this, showing us that faith without works is dead. Have a working faith. Go back to Jesus and start doing the things he's called you to do. The simple things. Prayer, reading the Bible, being in a fellowship of believers. Serve within that fellowship. Jesus then gives this warning that if you don't turn back, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now this is, you guys, what I want you to understand, this is not a a scare tactic of salvation. Jesus is not saying that if you don't repent, I'm going to take away your salvation. That's not what he's saying here. He's speaking to a church, and he wants the church to understand that your lampstand, where I have you, the place that I have you in in Ephesus, the light that you shine, if you turn into a bunch of hypocrites, and you walk away from me, and you start serving the gods of Ephesus and the ways of Ephesus, I will have no choice but to take that lampstand so that you no longer are hindering my name. See, this taking away the lampstand is a, is a warning to you and I that when we start being watered-down Christians, you guys, we are no longer building the gospel or building the kingdom, but we're actually tearing it down. When your lifestyle does not match up with your faith, you are actually doing damage to the kingdom of God. People that are sincere in their faith and sharing their faith and living it out, they look at you as a, as a watered-down or hypocritical Christian, and as much as they love you, it makes them mad, <laughs> Because here they are building people up and building up the kingdom, and you are walking in a hypocritical way. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is, I will have to remove that lampstand so you are no longer hindering my gospel in Ephesus. You can't say the name Jesus. You can't live out for Jesus and yet also live like the world. See, when a Christian has too much sin in their life and no repentance, the heart hardens, the mind corrupts, and eventually any witness slash light they have will go out. When we walk away from Jesus, when there's no repentance, again, your heart will harden you guys, your mind will corrupt, and eventually your light will go out. See, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was a shining light in a very dark place. They need to live in such a way and act in such a way that represents Jesus. It's a beautiful challenge to you and I, you guys. Jesus will not take away your salvation, but if you come to a place of sin and rebellion, he may remove you from that place so you will no longer call 
cause damage. Think of again of the story I told at the very beginning. Think of what would happen if I left Erica, if I walked in rebellion and sin and I left my wife. I would be removed. I should be removed from ministry. I should be removed from, from the eyesight of how many youth if I'm choosing to walk in rebellion and in sin. See, that wouldn't be right for me to come up here and be like, oh, yeah, I divorced my wife, but, hey, I'm going to teach you about Jesus. What kind of representation would that be? What kind of witness would that be? So ultimately then in verse 6 he says, Yet this you have, he encouraged them again again, tore them down, build them up. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were just an offshoot of, of early Christianity. They were messed up. They focused on physical body way too much and actually distorted Jesus. So he encouraged them. You know who the Nicolaitans are. You know what they stand for. Good for you for not bearing with them. Lastly, he finishes in verse 7. This is how he finishes every single letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How many people in here have a ear? How many people in here have two ears? Which means you better listen. <laughs> he says, anyone who has eight ears, you better listen. Everyone here has two ears, so you better listen twice. All right? But he who has an ear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Whether it was Ephesus or us today, we better listen. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's a reward for those who persevere in this life. We see this over and over again through the, the New Testament, that those who choose to live for Jesus, you guys, those who choose to conquer, those who choose to, to be courageous and bold for Jesus, to not be in the world, to not be in a place of, of basically you know, hip, hypocrisy within their faith, there's there's this gem of eating of the tree of life. I don't know what that means. I mean, I think it's like a watermelon tree. I don't know, but it's going to be something really good. And ultimately what this is, <laughs> I just see, see if you guys were listening. Ultimately what this is, is just this ultimate and genuine award that we get to be with Jesus for the rest of eternity, guys, for those who, who choose to live for him. All right, a couple applications. Jesus is never ashamed of you. Um, I'm sorry, Jesus is never ashamed of you or he's never tired of you. You literally are the most precious thing to him. As you look at Jesus standing in the, the seven lampstands, holding the seven stars, remember that he is never ashamed of you. He is never tired of you. You literally, literally are the most important thing in all creation to him. Number two, our daily works for Jesus are always noticed. Everything you do in Jesus' name is noticed. The toil, you guys, the repentance, the walking in this life for him, middle schoolers, is noticed by Jesus. Number three, keep loving and pursuing Jesus even when it gets hard. Just keep loving him. Just keep pursuing him. You may not always know what that means. You may not always know what to pray or always know what to read. But trust him and keep loving him. Keep pursuing him even when it gets hard. Lastly, you guys, there are consequences to living a hypocritical life. Don't think that the choices you make just affect you. That is such a naive and immature way to look at the choices we make, you guys. Every choice you make affects everybody around you. As you get older, as you are covering more things, as, whether an adult or parent or boss or pastor, every choice I make, the consequences of those choices, good and bad, they affect everyone around me. And I have to remember that. And it's sobering to think about. And it's good for you, young Christians, to start thinking about that now. All right, so hopefully this encourages you, tears you down a bit, but encourages you back up, all right? I encourage you guys to read ahead Read through the seven churches. Read through the rest of it, of chapter, the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3, and let God continue to speak to you as we teach through it. So, Father, we give you glory tonight. Again, I ask and I pray that 
in you, Father, and in the working of your spirit, we would be encouraged and we would be convicted and we would be called to repent. Uh, Jesus, we worship you alone because you are worthy of it. Uh, pray for small groups. Let it be blessed. Let it just um, glorify you and build up these students. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.